Oh yeah. All right. So, powers of X. Ten. Yeah, you'd think that as the guy who defends it, I would be better at that. You remember that song, like the Noma Noma A song from the internet? No, ma no ma no ma no ma no ma no ma Nope. I thought you were the internet. Uh, uh, uh. <laughs> you must be thinking of somebody else. I'm just a porno on the internet. <laughs> oh, Django. <laughs> oh, thank God we've got an intro. We don't have to worry about it. <laughs> <laughs> Acceptable Wu Tang fan cast, everybody. Wu That's right. Tang. We're Wu here. Tang. I'm Jeff. Tang. You all know me as your old dirty buddy. Um, and, and who are you? I'm Django, but you can call me Inspector Deck. <laughs> I like that. Uh, episode 151 of a perfectly acceptable podcast, where every Tuesday we get a bunch of comic books, take them back to our amazing comic book shop, count them, sort them, uh, file them away, take them home, read them, come back to the store, have fun on a Wednesday. Listen, I don't know if we got that gold. It was only but, doing one track. Oh, no. Oh, they're never going to know about the the Wu-Tang fan cast thing. The Raekwon the Jeff? Oh, God, I hope that they got the Raekwon the Jeff. I was pretty proud of it. Well, I was proud of it. Uh, this week we're going to talk about Superman, number 16, Batman's Grave, number 1, Doctor Doom, number 1, Batman Universe, number 4, Shoplifters Will Be Liquidated, number 1, Joker and Harley, Criminal Sanity, Django's coming at one. you with another Harley Quinn book. Bang. Bang. I love Harley Quinn now. <laughs> <laughs> And uh, Powers of Ten, number six. Finish it all off with that one. The end. The end. Hey, let's take a second to thank everybody for coming to the live show. We did a live show? We did a live show. It feels pretty weird to be in a room with just the two of us having a conversation now. 40-some of our favorite people. Yeah. Yeah. You guys turned out. You turned out. And turned out. And turned up, too. They turned it up. Are you correcting my colloquialisms no, again, I'm Jeffrey? No, they turned out and turned up, and it was fantastic. <laughs> but a huge thank you to everyone that showed up um, that had every ability to not be awesome. No, just kidding. It was still going to be the four or six of us on stage. It was always <laughs> going to be awesome, but um, it was so much cooler to have all of you folks there. It meant a huge amount to all of us. Roman and Justin walked away feeling good about themselves, and, and that is insane. All of those courtesy laughs that you gave us oh. were so good they were so good i believe them i believe them too superman number 16 by brian bendis and newcomer david lafuente newcomer to this series ivan reese has done the whole series up until this point and that has been my big complaint about this book this issue david lafuente who i know from doing ultimate spider-man he did the art in it after ultimatum Okay. So kind of right after Bagley left and kind of the Ultimate Universe is resetting, uh, La Fuente came on to do some art. So Ultimatum was, was that where... Uh... Almost everyone died. Okay. Is yeah. that where Peter Parker died or where no. Miles Morales took over? No. About 50 <clears throat> issues later, they did okay. the death of Peter Parker. 
Okay. And that happens. So this was just sort of still Peter, but I really love this art. Really? Yeah, I really love this art. And I didn't realize who it was for like four pages or even kind of what it was, but all of his art is like this. Like it's it has um a Nick Darrington look to me, but a little bit more Saturday cartoon. Okay. Like big hands, big feet, like kind of like it's got very Darren Darrington esque features to me, but then kind of smoothed out and curved and kind of disproportionated or something. I didn't expect that. So I, I like the art too. The feet made me giggle a couple times because he draws them very large. Mm -hmm. But I was expecting you to hate it because when I was looking at it, I was thinking Ramos. Oh yeah, no, all see, over I, this. I don't see Ramos at all on this, and but I'm, but I've read a lot of manga. And okay. Ramos is more manga to me. Okay. And I think that if you haven't that. read a ton of manga, mm -hmm. I could totally see this kind of getting lumped in with that. Yeah. Um, it's the it's like the body proportions and the big eyes that right. happen sometimes. No, there's a there's an endearing <clears throat> like Mega Man look to this that I I just I wouldn't want it in a lot of books, but I would I I would love a Brian Bendis La Fuente art. Damien and John comic book. So this is yeah. leading, you know, from the last issue of Superman and the Legion of Superheroes that's about to start up. John, it looks like, is going to go join, go to the future and join the Legion of Superheroes. So this is the one issue where he's come back from being off in space and traveled through time with his grandfather, and now he gets to go back to town, talk to Damien about where he's been, and tell him that he's going to be leaving. It's mostly just Damien and John hanging out. And it's awesome. It was so sweet. Yeah. Yeah. And and the, just the characterization of Damien from the start where he's beating up all these uh, Leviathan henchmen and being a real smart ass during that. I, I enjoyed that scene quite a bit. And then to have him kind of justifiably sort of pissed at John when John shows up again and, and has already gone through puberty and is you know, a man, basically, uh, over the course of three weeks of, Earth of time. Damien's time. Uh, but then to have them both just kind of sit down and be fast friends again and, and, you know, spoiler alert, Damien actually hugs John on purpose by the end, which I actually, it gave me chills sitting here waiting to finish this comic while before we recorded it's the podcast. It's crazy to me that Damien is a character that is written, I think, poorly by a lot of writers. I think that yeah. Morrison wrote him really well. I think Peter Tomasi wrote him really well. And I haven't really had other strong Damien writers. Yeah. And I think Bendis could have really missed the mark here because he, he really makes him kind of uh, a jokey, cute character. Right. But he, he walks that line of it still being... Well, we'll talk about it a little bit later on with the Doctor Doom book, but I think if you can walk that line of like really self-righteous and self-absorbed, so much to the point that it's almost kind of making fun of yourself. Yeah, like I'm I, familiar with that line. I love that line, and Honest. I love people on that line. I'm definitely making fun of myself. <laughs> <laughs> um, and uh, yeah, it's just I I I think that the Damien in this was so cute, and I loved their friendship, and I love I kept seeing shades of justin and i in this yeah. and like n no one was like definitively Je you know justin was damien or jeff was like, it was like both well, of them justin had... went away for a year and came back after that's going true. through puberty that's true you're right <laughs> um but then 
the moment where like he hugs John, I like maybe thought they were gonna kiss. <laughs> and and then I was like, man, I hate the term shipping, but I'm like, oh shit, I want John and Damien to be a couple. Like what's shipping? You know, I had to have, ask a customer, I haven't finally explained it because I've been hearing the term shipping, but relationshipping, like forcing a relationship Ugh. upon two characters. Yeah, we got to come up with a better word for yeah, that. Yeah, it's 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 deep. Shipping is a comic term they've been using for a while. Dang. I know, I hate is it. Is there an apostrophe? I don't know. No, I think it's just shipping. If you guys know, give us a call and tell us about it. I anyway. Quit. I quit. I'm leaving. Well, no, but don't leave because think about Damien and John getting hot and heavy <laughs> that Wouldn't would yeah. be adorable i'm sure you can find it on the internet oh i thought Guaranteed. you were the internet it would also be a little bit weird and predatory at this point because there's a pretty big age difference well yeah I, I guess i don't know how much older than damien john became i'm sure some comic tells us yeah i'm sure there is i i really liked in the beginning when uh damien's fighting against leviathan First of all, their helmets are rad. They are. And we only saw little bits of their helmets uh, in Event Leviathan this week. And uh, the artist in uh, Malieve in Event Leviathan, his art in that series has been so kind of muddy. I haven't been able to really get a clear view of anything that's happening in that series. I agree. Uh, I really enjoy it, but it hasn't been super well-defined art. And looking at these guys' helmets in here, it looks like... If you took all the best parts of Thangarian, Thangarian, where's Roman? We'd have to ask Roman, yeah. Uh, like Hawkman world helmets and mashed them up with Joe Casada's The Ray, mm, which is Jango basically- loves The Ray by Casada. You're going to love it too when you read it, buddy. Yeah. It's basically The Rocketeer, but with superpowers. Oh, sold. Yeah. Sold. I knew I'd get it. Rocketeer with superpowers. Uh, and then when they finally teleport away, because Damien's just mowing through them, they're like getting in their teleporter zone. And the guy's like, information behind me. And then somebody says, God, that kid is mean. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I think the Bendis humor works really well around Damien. Mm -hmm. I loved it. It was just super innocent. And I love a story about buddies being buddies. And this really did that, I think, really, really well. So what do you give it? I'm going to go nine. This one took a hit because of the art for me. Oh, yeah. Uh, mostly just the feet. Yeah, those are... they're. Yeah, they're distracting. It's silly. It's it's the art is you know incredibly stylized. I liked everything from just below the knees up, mm. um, except Superman is way too short here. Yeah, way too short. But yeah, nine, nine, niner, nine. Hey, let's stop and visit your buddy, eh? Isn't it crazy how timeless that theme song also is? Like that Batman, like that's lived longer than you'd expect a, you know, poorly reviewed television show. Well, what it was, it was on TV forever, and then they brought it back in Batman Returns or Batman '89, one of those two early Batman movies. Prince copped some of the na 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 for one of his songs, I think. Huh. And Danny Elfman maybe quoted it in there. And then I'm pretty sure... I believe Danny Elfman would have quoted it. I'm pretty sure that they also used it at some point in one of the newer movies. Hmm. And it was kind of subtle and not, not part of the main movie, maybe during the credits or something. But there was... Like, th there's been a purposeful... We keep it alive. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, Batman 66 kind of blows me away. I've never seen that on television. So this is uh, The Batman's Grave by Warren Ellis, Brian Hitch, 
Did Kevin Nolan ink it? That's why it's such good Brian Hitch. That is why it's such good Brian Hitch. Yeah, I mean, he can't fix the anatomy, like the basic anatomy, but he fixed everything else. Yeah, no, that's I didn't realize that, but there is also flavors of Kevin Nolan in here. Who I love. I do too. And then uh, colors by Alex Sinclair. Who does most, I feel like, of Brian Hitch's colors and is not, doesn't necessarily help it much. Yeah, I'm I'm with you 100% there. This is basically uh, kind of like a crime procedural so far. It's somebody um, somebody's murdered and Batman goes to solve the crime. It's it's a guy that was kind of kept to himself, seemed sort of uh, I don't know, maybe obsessed, maybe uh, just like autistic and very focused on Batman's life uh his 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 room is all full of batman newspaper articles and pictures and uh bruce does some cool tech stuff and kind of has a conversation with the dead guy um which i really enjoyed and it's just a kind of a mechanism for batman to be solving the crime out loud he's having a conversation with the dead person and um kind of getting into his mind and the end reveal, I think, is that the killer was hiding under the floorboards the whole time. And the killer looks a lot like the dude who got a lobotomy in the Shadow Annual Number 2 by oh, Andy Helf- Helfer think... and uh, Orlando. You don't think, do you? I don't. Oh, okay. But I'll show you the picture that I'm talking about, and I'm I think you'll it. agree. What I really liked about this is that I love a Batman story that is... You know, like Tom King's several-year-long Batman story. Mm-hmm. But I also really mm-hmm. like a story like The Long Halloween, like a 12-issue Batman story that's mostly centered on Batman just being Batman. Here's a package. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and this seems like that. Like, it's mm-hmm. just it's an excuse for Batman to be out doing what Batman does, and I don't feel like I've seen a ton of that lately. No, it kind of went away when they stopped doing, like one or two issue storylines because trade paperbacks are the way that you actually have some ability like to, a through line to keep selling your stories. Yeah. So I would say around the start of the new 52 is when I stopped seeing kind of just Batman yeah. stories that, that seemed to be a thing that, you know, and this is marketed for a paperback. Like this largely is like, you know, they're, they're planning it for long Halloween style, 12, yeah. 12 issue Batman story, but it'll be one, Exactly. One package of yeah him doing this stuff and and I I really liked the procedural nature of it I really liked the insight into Batman I there I loved the, the first couple pages of just sort of Alfred walking the grounds at Wayne Manor uh, and and he mentions that like he's tending to the graves of Thomas and Martha and they mentioned that they had bought the grave site next to theirs and it was going to be Bruce's and then. Uh, this line of Alfred has always known that before he goes, he will see the hole under the third grave slab be filled. Yeah. Like, wow, that's a really succinct, impactful line of storytelling about Batman and Alfred's relationship. Well, and then later on, Bruce comes home from crime solving and he has kind of a bummer of a conversation with Alfred. Which I... Like, Alfred's a little bit wine drunk and, you know, he's, he's... He's often sort of Bruce's foil in the idea that he has to be Batman. Like, Alfred's kind of picking at him about that a lot. Do you have to go do that? You don't want to use your money for anything else? Yeah, but it always seems like just kind of a a check and not a balance. And this seems like Alfred is trying to 
kind of be both like he's this seems a little more defeated and a little more serious than alfred usually is in this situation i would like this book probably more if brian hitch didn't do the art i i get pretty bummed when i see brian hitch's name but i should get over it because uh, it's it's not terrible there's just like a blandness to a lot of the figures and faces like there's a lot of lack of definition and personality and face but he is really great at a lot of a lot of stuff but i would give this one um a 7.5 or an 8 i liked it quite a bit i just think it's a really good batman story being batman i I, I like those i'm gonna give it an 8 it would be a solid 9 with uh stronger colors yeah The, the colors are gosh just exactly serviceable yeah it and that's just like every brian hitch book like there's just like kind of a bunch of colors that are all within this like gray bland spectrum to me yeah it it works (laughs) comics they work hey django can you take a second to talk to me about shoplifters and being liquidated this is actually less about comics and more about uh our store we need to talk about shoplifting we're going to liquidate them all Oh, uh, this is from Aftershock. It's Patrick Kindlin and Stefano Simeone. Um, Patrick Kindlin did uh, a lot of she black mask fly? stuff. Oh, he's the black mask yeah. writer. Okay, okay. Um, but Doctor Doom was written by the guy who wrote She Could Fly. Okay, that's where I'm getting confused. Yeah. A lot of a lot of cross cross pollinating this week. Yeah. Uh, so this is about kind of a, a future superstore. The Caucasus Superstore. Amazon. Amazon, basically, like a like a physical Amazon. And there uh it's this huge store where you can get anything and it follows the security agents who just kind of have carte blanche to do whatever they want, including shooting somebody's leg off if they're if they think that they're stealing. Oh dang. Um they seem to be sort of augmented or brainwashed. And also, they are definitely not perfect, so they don't always get the right person. Sometimes they they misidentify a shoplifter, and uh, they're super violent to them. And what happens in this issue is one of one of the main um, loss prevention guys is chasing somebody and he gets sucked into a trap door at the end that spits him out onto a hill underneath the superstore and what we realize is that the superstore is kind of the the heavenly rich place that still exists and all of the pores have been abandoned to this hellscape of um earth maybe it's it may not even be earth really but when he gets dumped out of the bottom of the store you realize that everybody else is living in definitely not a a place that you would expect to see a superstore so his decision is well i guess i got to go kill them all so he's going to go on attack to take care of all the all the lesser people who are living he's going to uh, kill all the people below the shopping center yeah yeah he's, he's his program's kind of broken even though he was a guy who was deemed to be down there because he got kicked out of the... No, he didn't get kicked out. He just fell down a trap oh. door and ended up down there. Huh. Um, the book on the whole is a little bit muddled. Like, I'm never quite sure if we're looking at the same character or a different character. And uh, there, there are a few people... It, it could have used a little more introduction to some characters. But just in general, I really like the mood of it and the setting and watching 
watching kind of, you know, like Walmart taken to the far, far, far extreme. The art's pretty interesting as well. I'm trying to think of who it reminds me of, uh, but it's like kind of distorted and there's a lot of motion in everyone's movement. A lot of wide angles. Yeah. Yeah. It's interesting for this to come out, you know, three weeks after that book, Everything, which is kind of devil store has everything type of vibe as well. Everything feels more like it. it's more of a a nice retail store run by the devil. Mm-hmm. And this doesn't this doesn't necessarily have actual hell feelings. It just is like a hellscape that the guy gets dumped out into at the end. So like he's he he's ends up like in a Mad Max world. And then above that is I don't know like what what's the most super shiny fancy Walmart Walmart yeah I think it's interesting to get those two books out as close to in proximity as they are and I'm sure <clears throat> there are many other things that like seems to me that like the sort of collective creative unconscious is dealing with this Walmart Amazon yeah. thing that's happening in the world like. On some level, we're getting artistic and creative ideas that are kind of spawned from an idea of like, hey, is everyone super chill about everyone buying everything at one place? Yeah. I think that's an interesting, it's interesting to see that much art come out in a small period of time uh, in a response to some sort of cultural things that have happened. Yeah, yeah for sure. I'd give this a seven. I would give it a higher if if I could tell exactly what was going on the entire time. But there's, there's some interesting subplots in the characters and... Uh, you, I'm curious to see what's happening next. Boil it like if you liked blank, you would like this. Can no. you can you tell me a type of person that would like this? Um, like a TV show dang. that you're watching. Like what's uh what's your main group? When... If you wish that the good place wasn't funny, oh, you might like this. Um, I have everyone just so you know. I would talk to Django and I looked at him and I said, Django, are you watching that Hulu Wu Tang show? And he was like, I am. It's really good. Eli and I are watching it. <clears throat> and I thought, I really want to watch that. So I went home that night and started watching it and didn't stop until I caught up on that one. And then I said, I don't have enough. So then I found a Showtime documentary series that was four and a half hours long that was about the Wu Tang clan. And I've never listened to the Wu Tang Clan. That's my favorite part of this whole but thing. But I have listened. I have learned a lot about the Wu Tang Clan in the last two and a half days. So on days that you've worked with me, you've listened to a lot of Wu Tang songs. So I know Wu Tang samples, mm-hmm. and I I really like it. I play a lot of the El Michelle Affair downstairs when I'm working, and it's. Like orchestral versions of Wu Tang songs. So I've been looking forward album. to listening to that with you because I know yeah. about that, and I did go out and buy the album. Uh, by one just because they just have the one album, right? The Wu Tang. Yeah. The Enter the Thirty Six Chambers. I'm just kidding. I know they've got a bunch, but yeah, I bought that one. That's the one yeah. for me. Like yeah. I, I probably know every. I know how long of a space there is between songs on that album. Yeah. That one and, and Old Dirty's Return to the 36th really, or 37th Chamber. Yeah, I'm really excited to get that one. Yeah. Let's talk for a second about Doctor Doom number one by Christopher Cantwell, Salvador La Roca, and Guru FX. Did, uh, did Christopher Cantwell write all those uh, Black Mask books? <laughs> uh, Christopher Cantwell wrote She Could Fly. Yep. Okay. And I keep getting Christopher Cantwell confused with you know M. Maxwell Prince, who writes Ice Cream Man, right. because they both have art by... Martin Marazzo, who yeah. I, or yes, Django, you read this? I read the shit out of this. 
I really liked this. <clears throat> I did too. What did you like about it? Do you want me to go? Yeah, you go because it was the first comic I read this week and you have a much better feeling for what Doom... Okay. You have a better gut for how I think everyone should think Doom should talk. <laughs> so I have a pretty, like, I get everyone can, I think everyone writes Doom and read in very different ways, but I am hugely in love with the way that Jonathan Hickman wrote Doom and read. And and because of that, I have a, like a really a sort of insatiable desire to read uh, <clears throat> Doom comics. But oftentimes it's not in a way that I love. This was not Hickman's tone for Doctor Doom, but I loved this tone because it had the regal, self-righteous, self-involved tone of Doctor Doom. Mm -hmm. But when you play that just a little bit too much, it becomes a joke. Right. And he does it perfectly. Like it is kind of a joke. But he's still kind of scary. Yeah. But it's sort of, you keep sort of just being like, man, what is that guy like alone? Um, and he's in a throne when he's alone. Yeah. Like, there's no way Doom sits in a folding chair when he's not hanging out with anybody. Exactly. Like, it, and I think <clears throat> anyone who genuinely believes that they need to be, you know, that, it's just funny. Like, it's just, it's to yeah. me, it's, it's, but it's not even played as a joke, but it's just, it's the perfect Doom tone for me. And then that coupled with uh, several, yeah, several pages in, we get Kang, and I love Kang so much. I love time travel stories when they're done really, really well. And Kang usually, when he's using a time travel story, it's like an almost like overly complex, like complex for the sake of complex time travel. Like in this, he shows up. He doesn't know when he is. He doesn't know where he is. He doesn't know like which alternate history he is, and he just shows up and he's talking to Doom, and they have this really awesome conversation of two titans, but they also are kind of both just kind of burning each other down a little bit. Like they have this respect for one another, but it's also kind of like if Jeff and Django hadn't seen each other for ten years yeah. and then got put in a room, I bet there'd be a slight amount of like burning each other and down. And both wanted to dominate the world. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Exactly. <clears throat> Instead of just Justin wanting to dominate the world. But it was just sort of a, a perfect coming together of a couple things that I like. I don't think that a Doctor Doom miniseries has a lot. I wouldn't have a lot of faith in it normally, but the tone for his voice and the Kang showing up really, I, I really dug that. At what point did Doctor Doom's musical touchstone become <laughs> Buffalo Girls? Yeah, that almost to me, you know, falls more into the category of the like the weird humor of this and i've yeah, got no problem yeah, with it so but i love the idea of dr doom well one of my favorite things in that hickman run is his relationship with valeria yeah which is you know reed's daughter and uh, named after a latverian princess probably. oh wow probably but even in those scenes where hickman writes him there is a very tongue-in-cheek like that's one of the things i love so much about that character is that when he is put next to a child Mm-hmm. He has this extreme <clears throat> dignity, but he also understands that children don't understand how much respect he deserves. So, like, he kind of lowers him. Like, there's this weird. I just think he's such a complex character. In this book, what I liked so much about it is that it it really put itself into the complex character of Doom. And I think most people 
view him as either just sort of like very rich, powerful bad guy or kind of a joke. Like right. this really leaned into the complexity of his character that I think opens up for a lot, a lot of uh, humor. And Kang is an equally complex character who has a lot of humor built into him. The Kang scene cracked me up. It's so good. And, and then it's just like, it's over. I know. Because, because Kang gets blipped out. Yeah. And, and it's like, he, he can't really control what he does, so he shows up in the study, has a drink, and and disappears. And It's great. Yeah, I really liked uh, the scene where um, he's talking to his henchwoman, and, and she you know, gives him a report, and he says, Oh, I had a bet with your father about that. Tell him he owes me money. And she says, he already had me place the Franks on your desk wrapped in uh, Simcarian silk. And he says, respectful with a hint of insolence. Right. I like it. Yeah. <laughs> it's just like, you know, that, that, that to me just sort of speaks volumes to the relationship that this writer is having with the character. Pretty uh, funny. Uh, I would give this book, I would give this book a seven and a half. Yeah. I'd give it an eight. I really like the art and I really like the Kang scene and I really like the humor. This this gets an eight from me. I'm gonna go eight. I was thinking seven and a half or eight myself. Yeah. I I, I think that everyone should check it out. It's better than you'd think. Jeff. Yeah. Did you read Batman Universe number four? No, I haven't oh, read three. God. I'm gonna skip three to read number four though. Do you want me to wait? No, I really want to hear about it. You are shit in the bed. I know. This is this was. Man, there is no one in the world except for Justin who could look at me and say like, oh, man, what did you say last time? It was like a month ago. You were like, "Oh, you're." I hadn't read a thing. You're like, "You're fucking up," and I just immediately <laughs> stopped and went. And re- oh, maybe it was safe sex. Oh yeah. And then there was another like one. Like you went in the back earlier. hallway and read it. Yeah, like yeah. when Django says, "Like you're fucking up," I'm always like, "Oh man, like don't. I'll do better." <laughs> respectful with a hint of insolence. I like it. <laughs> Not respectful. <laughs> Insolent. Uh, okay, so you know, last issue, whatever. This this whole thing has just been kind of uh, an adventure with a MacGuffin, you know. It's it's like an excuse for isn't he the crime dog? Oh, that's MacGuffin. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, it's been an excuse for Bendis to write an adventure with Batman. And so what we've found out is that this Fabergé egg that has been the MacGuffin is an egg that Savage Vandal Savage has been trying to get for ages, and it belonged at some point. To Jonah Hex, uh, and that's where Jonah Hex's daughter first appeared. Eggs. Egg. What? I'm trying to get him for eggs. Eggs. You're welcome. Huh. I'm listening. I'm here. Can you? Jonah Hex's daughter, Ginny Hex. Yeah, that's that's fine, dude. Okay. I was I was just I was gonna make a loud noise so that you knew to cut oh, that joke out, but darn it sounds it. like you're pretty confident with it. No, so I'm we feeling really it. good about it. Actually, it was a good <laughs> joke. Uh, this issue has Batman and Green Lantern transported like Hal Jordan Green Lantern transported back in time to the days of Jonah Hex by surprise okay okay and Green Lantern is bad at being in the past okay <laughs> Bruce is pretty fucking good at being in the past and he keeps telling him uh I got this Hal and Hal says something stupid and he's like no seriously I got this so they like they have to take their masks off cuz Jonah Hex doesn't trust people in masks love it right obviously and uh, they they talk him into not killing them. Bruce Bruce is just like, hey, I'm pretty sure that you've seen some things you can't explain. And so I think that maybe we can help you understand some of that. And also, we're not a threat. So just like 
reading the situation, never having met Jonah Hex before, reading the situation and being like, okay, this guy has had this Fabergé egg, like doing all this really quick deduction and then figuring out Jonah Hex's weakness and and like offering to answer some questions for him to defuse the situation. Jonah's like, all right, gang, you, you guys get out of here. I'm going to talk to these two. Um, and then they have to go get like new clothes and you know they they pick out some of the greatest greatest Dude, that like Howl Western. outfit is so good getting yeah. a green vest green Fuck vest yeah. and a white hat yeah and bruce has all black and a black hat of course bruce um, was good at being in the past because he was recently in this time period from the return to bruce Wh- grant morrison that's still canon it better fucking still be canon man it's uh, grant morrison's <clears throat> batman i don't know he he's just super comfortable in it and how how's like he's just got like 30 hours or something left of his ring charge. Oh, right. Okay, right? so it's still canon. He has to charge his ring. He's got to charge his ring. Dude, I remember when being a little boy, my dad, I th- I've mentioned it before, but when my dad told me about the origin for the Green Lantern, I was like, that is so awesome. But even mm-hmm. as like a five-year-old, he was like, but he has to recharge it at night with his lamp. And I was like, that is dumb. Well, like a five-year-old, you, as as a five-year-old, even you, as young as you are, didn't have to recharge your cell phone every day. That's true. That's true. I was but, born with the womb, out of the womb, with a cell phone that has a battery life that I only have to my iPhone. I have to charge it twice a day. We basically have Green Lantern rings in our back pockets all day long, but that's, we still have to charge them. That's a great once a day segue to uh, Powers of Ten number six, but we'll hold off on that. Okay. Evolution technology. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Um, anyway. It's it's this this just every page of this comic got better and better. I don't think you even really need to have read the other issues. You could pick this one up and enjoy it with or without any context. There's there's an amazing shot of Vandal Savage with a bunch of ninjas, um, and this is this is Nick Darrington just killing it. There's a, a huge fight scene, a 16 panel grid oh, of yeah. just. Nope, that's not 16, it's 12, you know, whatever. Every interaction is hilarious and also menacing. The end cliffhanger's great. Like, this is is going up there with All the Way Down for me as a really, really, really well done single issue. So is this your favorite issue of Batman Universe so far? Easy, and I've liked them all. Um, So I have only read the first two, and I really liked both of them. Mm Mm-hmm. I love the Darrington art. A couple things that strike me about this. First, I think that it's interesting that this book is told in the sunlight as much as it is. Yep. Because I think Batman stories are usually in the dark. And I think that there's a Saturday morning cartoon vibe to this. Yeah. You know, like it's a fun adventure. It's not even as grim as Batman the Animated Series. Right. And I think that it was coming out in 10-page increments for those Walmart books. Yep. This is two of those chapters at a time. This and seems it's seamless. Yeah, which is great. But it also, like, that 10-page way of doing this type of story seems kind of perfect. Like, it's a, it's in the light. It's a fun Batman romp. It can come out in 10 issues at a, or 10 pages at a time. Like, it feels very like you're eight years old watching a Saturday morning cartoon or, like, racing yeah. home after school to... You saying that just made me realize why I like this series so much. It's because it's Batman written... In the same style as Indiana Jones. Oh, right, which was rompy, which was written to kind of mimic the eight-minute episodic pre-movie adventures that people would have. It's so good, dude. Yeah, 
Well, this, what do you give it? I give it a 10. That's awesome. It's it's an easy 10 for me. And I I would encourage anybody, well, we're probably sold out by now, but I would encourage anybody to pick this book we're up. Not. We're not? No. Pick this book up and read it. Like, even just stand in the store and read it. And um, this is this is how fun comic books can be. You know what's amazing to me? Um, I was recently watching a different documentary. It was that Oasis documentary, Oasis, uh-huh. about them. And what's crazy is now we're making documentaries about things that happened in times where cell phones and video cameras were a common occurrence. Wow. So we're getting these documentaries. Like that Oasis one, there is basically footage from the moment they first got together practicing in a room yeah. until they're famous. And that Wu-Tang one Dang. also has an insane amount of footage. So, like, you know, Ken Burns documentaries are these things that you're combining pictures and creating audio commentary. But now we can actually provide visual evidence for all this subject matter, which is really cool. That's interesting because, like, my dad and my brothers got really, really, really into the Beatles for a while. Mm-hmm. And just when you think you've seen every single picture of the Beatles, there's somebody who shows up with yeah. a negative that has a picture of John Lennon farting in the background yeah. or something and it's <laughs> it's it's like national news right. like oh look here's here's uh you know Ringo eating a sandwich behind my uncle yeah and and like we have mined every shred of documentation right. for those guys for and Nirvana I can just, is another one yeah and i can just imagine like after after about 1998 there there's no way you could watch every single bit of recorded yeah. information for Kendrick Lamar yeah you know well, that that's true I bet all of his stuff's on there and 91 to 94 was when it was really happening so we have you know like the very first Oasis performance is videoed and audio recorded the, you know mm-hmm. the first time Nirvana smelled smelled teen spirit, teen spirit. <laughs> but but so those were recorded by people who had video cameras, which right. were a kind of a new thing. Right. If you did that with somebody now, oh yeah, you would have a stadium full of idiots of, taking a video of something that everybody around was taking. A forty camera angle on the first performance of whatever band opened up for you could you know, have tool. a three D hologram that you could walk through. And that's like in fifty years, we will be making documentaries, or twenty years, we'll be making documentaries that are doing that exact same thing, like creating three yeah. D images because we have enough viewpoints of a thing. There's no way that that whole conversation we just had is going to make it into the podcast. Dude, we're moving quick, and there's only two of us, so I think that it could. All right. Oh, we've got some questions, too. All right, hey, listen. So all that to say... i got a question. I want to hear about Harley, Joker, Criminal Sandy. You're the guy who reads all the Harley books. Uh, uh, yeah, my love of Batman, which you can't stop hammering on tonight... I love it, man. Uh, ...has led me to read Harley Quinn Breaking Glass. I don't know if any of our, our longtime listeners have heard of Breaking Glass, but... Uh, that made me try to Look recapture the, the feeling of liking Breaking Glass so much that I've read two other, three other, <laughs> four other, Jesus, four other Harley Quinn books. None of them have stood up to that. But oh. this Joker Harley, Criminal Sanity, by Cami Garcia, Miko Suyan, and Mike Mayhew, is okay. Uh, I want to hear about it. You're not. Okay. We're not saying that. Right. You know. You said earlier we we talk about these books. We have something to say, or because the people who haven't read them want to hear about them. So I want to hear about this one. Like, okay. So let me let me tell you the good things and the bad things about okay. this. Um, the good things about this. Uh, this is a Harleen Quinzel as kind of a crime detective, 
And I really enjoy the the hard boiled aspects of that. She is, uh, I think, sort of a like a police. Um, what, what do they call it when some like a profiler? Mm-hmm. So she's teaching classes about serial killers, and she goes into some pretty grotesque depth about Ed Gein and um, our our buddy Ted Bundy uh, from Bellingham. Or Bellingham. He hung out in Bellingham. Yeah, uh, John Wayne Gacy. So like. It's this is definitely rooted in serial killer fandom, and you know I'm not ashamed to admit that I spent a lot of time reading a lot about serial killers. It's uh, I'm fascinated by it too, buddy. I'm not surprised yeah. we have that in common. I, I I I know most of the stuff that they said about any of these people, um, so I enjoyed that. I enjoyed the pacing of the story. I did not think that the art was super good. Uh, if it's not black and white, it's pretty close to black and white throughout. When it is color, it feels like somebody took a, a marker and just drew over a photograph uh, in in a way that even Salvador LaRocca doesn't quite cop to. Uh, these these just look like photos. And it's fine. It gets the story across, but I found it distracting and, you know, being a being a Photoshop guy. Tim Tim Bradstreet does an amount of this, uh, but I think he's more stylized with it. Those almost look just like Snake Bliskin. Oh yeah. Like they, yeah. they really do look like photos that have been covered. Who's that guy? Snake Pliskin. Yeah, who is that artist who's that actor? His name's Snake Pliskin. Patrick Swayze? Nope. He looks like Patrick Swayze in that, or something, you know, like, do you know? Do, I know who you're talking about. Oh, I can't, I can't think escape of his fucking from New York name. guy? Yeah, this is Snake Plissken. Okay, I appreciate that you are saying that over and over again. <laughs> I don't, I've never seen it. The first picture of the guy I thought was. Is that uh, John Carpenter? No, John Carpenter directed Snake Plissken. Okay. In Escape from New York. Right, sorry, J- Justin, we were talking about John Carpenter today, and he was saying <laughs> that it was John Carpenter that did, did that, and I didn't know that. Yeah, so, like, the, the art, the art I had a hard time with, um, and the, the story is just serial killer stuff. It's called Joker Harley Criminal Sanity. Joker is in here in name only. Uh, this is going to be nine issues, I think. It's smaller than your normal black label book. It's like a 32 page instead of a 64 page. Which I appreciate. Yeah, this this was, this was easier to commit to reading. Mm-hmm. Um I'm not going to drop this yet. I'm going to read at least another issue or two. I want to see what the Joker looks like in this world. This is definitely Elseworlds. Like this, this is not our main DC universe. Okay. Um, it's my sincere hope that Harley Quinn is the Joker's enemy throughout, and that she doesn't actually fall in love with him and, and turn into the Harley Quinn that we know. Because I think it would be really interesting to have Harley on the side of Batman being a crime solver. We also don't need another Harley Quinn origin that's only 10 degrees different from the other ones that we've gotten yeah. in the last several months. Yeah, and this this one is very different than the other ones. The other ones, she's like, I don't know, this this seems a little bit grittier. I yeah, I just mean like if she but, were to then fall in love with Joker or something, yeah. it would be like, okay, we've got another one that goes this direction. Give me a fucking break. Exactly. Yeah. I told one of my best friends this week that I hate Harley Quinn. And he was like, wait, what? And I don't know. I don't hate Harley Quinn, but I feel about Harley Quinn the way I feel about Deadpool at this point. Like, I just think that it's mm-hmm. kind of a ubiquitous property that's sent out to everybody and a lot of people. And no judgment if you like Deadpool or Harley Quinn. I'm sorry. I'm not. 
It's it's you yeah. don't have to like things that other people like. I, right. I wouldn't say that Harley Quinn shouldn't exist, but I would say that for the most part, I don't like to read Harley Quinn. I stories. really like old Harley Quinn, yeah. like in the one One Piece jumper. But it's just now they're they're putting her in everything, and she's super sexualized. And I just I'm I'm really bummed about it. In the same way that I think Deadpool kind of appeals to just like hyper violent swearing fart humor. Yeah. Um, and, and I like only some two of, of those. <laughs> and only two of those are not Django exclusive, but. Uh, so what do you give this one? I, I want to read this one. I want to read Breaking Glass still the most. I give this a six. I'm gonna I'm gonna reserve judgment on what I think of the series until I read a little bit more of it because at 32 page increments and a nine issue series, this is just scraping the surface of an introduction to the comic, right? And so it's interesting enough to keep going, but I still don't know which direction it's headed. So I feel um, that like 32 pages versus 60 pages, it's it's all you know like. Yeah, I think that's a fine story, but when you have 60 pages, it's like you're sort of using technology to expand uh, what you're trying to do. It sort of overcomes the evolutionary aspect of just reading a 30-page comic. That was my attempt at a segue into Powers of Ten, number six. That was a really good segue. I was going to try to go pee in between issues, but uh, let's let's just muscle. Is this the last issue? Yeah. It's this done. is it? Yeah. So listen, we're, we're going to get into Powers <clears throat> of Ten, Number six, but oh, I want to. Oh yeah, are we? I want to. I'm Justin. I want. Oh, I don't. I don't. Was that? Did that sound like Justin? I don't know. I want to start by saying we have one uh, question from Nathan Butcher who said, "What makes you excited most about each of the coming X Men series?" Artists and writers, man. And then we've got an audio recording from a wonderful listener, Andrew Carlson, who came to the live show. Thank you so much. Also, Nathan Butcher did. Um, and I'm going to play this uh, recording of his opinions about Powers of Ten, number six. I haven't listened to it yet. And then that will guide us into our own discussion. Hello, Papcast. It's Andrew. Um, just calling in about Powers of Ten. Wow. Wow, wow, wow. I have so many questions. <laughs> I don't... I'll start with something that's not a question. Uh, so I just, I can speak Spanish, minorly. Um, and I thought it was really interesting that homo novissima, so in Spanish, when you're trying to accentuate something, um, like say you some, say think something is really good, so you're, you say bien. If you think it's really, really, really good, then you can say buenísimo or buenísima, you add that isima to just say, like, it's the peak, it's the extreme of what it can be. So I find it really interesting that Hickman uses, I assume, the Latin form of novissima, so newest, like the, the best, most peak new human. And are they cyborgs? <laughs> I'm not exactly... I didn't fully understand all this year 1000 stuff. I'm I don't expect you guys to necessarily, but I would I would love to hear you guys explain it cuz good god. It's whew, and Moira's journal. It there was a lot of Do you think Charles possibly is the one that had his mind Excuse me. Do you think Charles is the one that has had to replace his own mind with the backups the several times? Or do you think that Moira has somehow interacted 
does she I don't know I don't know very confusing but I do think it's interesting that she mentions in her journal that she did not want to be allies with Sinister and that Magneto and Xavier did that without her permission or without her knowledge so yeah I, I thought it was it was strange because we don't really know the timeline of everything just yet and so honestly a lot of this confused me more than anything but I am still very intrigued it didn't confuse me in a bad way but uh, really excited to hear your commentary sorry for the long thing uh, can't wait for the podcast have a great one guys Andrew, I've learned to never apologize for my long thing. <laughs> oh, Django Boren. Love it. <laughs> Love that long thing. Uh, Andrew, thanks so much for calling. <clears throat> Anyone else who, who, who wants to call, if you read a comic and you're just befuddled by it or you liked it a lot, if you had feelings, if you didn't like it, um, just call us. Uh, you don't even have to have a question. Just we love this is a forum for people to be talking about comics. So thanks a bunch for calling, Andrew. The number, if anyone else ever wants to call, you can call the number directly and record a voicemail. Or what Andrew did is he recorded on his phone and then attached that as an email to us. So Whoa. you can call He's us at wizard. 1-619-663-7336. That's our phone number if you're the devil. <laughs> Um, and then you can also email us at info at thecomicsplace.com and just write something about PapCast question in the subject line. And then don't forget to attach your audio recording. Okay, let's get into it. Powers of Let X, me get comfortable. Powers of 10, number six. Um, Jonathan Hickman, uh, RB Silva, Marta Gracia on colors. This is the end of Hickman's X-Men thing. It's not the end. No, it's the it's end, the end, of, end his, of this. It's the end of this that he's doing. prelude. Now, okay, so let's you know, let's get into this in bite-sized chunks. Django, I told a lot of people that I was really pleased with how self-contained this wrapped up. Well, I was I was pleasantly surprised. I thought it was going to be more of a lead-in for the last two weeks uh -huh. than it ended up being. And I think that maybe some of that was some uh, some just thinking about you as I was reading it because that wouldn't have bothered me but I, I did think about the people who would want this to be a thing that you could buy for Christmas give it to somebody and it would be done well and you're also the kind of Hickman fan who has read giant superhero Hickman stories in omnibus form mm -hmm. which I think gives you a totally different outlook on the package than somebody like me who has I think almost exclusively read Hickman stuff in smaller chunks whether it's just trade paperbacks or issues I, 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 yeah all of my Hickman stuff I have read in non-omnibus form as issues okay um, with the exception of the first half of his Fantastic Four run okay um, but yeah it, it, for sure I do buy all of his stuff in collections because it all sort of is a giant machine that I love to have all of at a time and I think you have uh, more willingness to revisit comics that you've already read recently to kind of juice them and like how many times have you read that fantastic four run yeah like three or three or three or four times yeah i have read nothing three or four times yeah um mm -hmm. so i like the idea of having a package of here's a story there's more if you want right right like right. like this could be a new hope this is this is the end of of that first star wars movie yeah. you don't need an, any more this yeah this, this house and powers meal. could be a new hope I, yeah. yeah i totally this agree this is a full meal 
Um, I appreciate that. Yeah. But I also love that a huge amount was brought up in this Mm -hmm. that I have absolute faith is going to get followed up in subsequent series. Oh, this is is a huge meal, but you still got silverware left over. Yeah, yeah. You know there's something else coming. Exactly. There's there's some hot plates left. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. Why is that? that? Oh, God. Now I know why it's hot. It's on my lap. Yeah. You know. You know. I know. So... I really am pleased with the way it came out. I loved the execution. I loved it was two series. I loved the way it alternated. Um, Justin also loved it. I'll speak for him a little bit. He was a tiny bit disappointed that at the end of this issue, it did end the timeline that was 1,000 years in the future. And By, spoiler alert, spoiler killing Moira. In the exact same fashion that she died in Moira's ninth life, Wolverine stabs her thus ending that life. So 1,000 years in the future, um, Moira died, and that was her sixth life, which answers the mystery of what happened to her sixth life. So are we 100% sure that the other far future stuff that we've seen isn't happening in her 10th life? Yes. Okay. We know that that was her ninth life because when that ended, it says so ended her ninth life. Okay. Okay. Um, so all of the lives are accounted for, all the timelines are accounted for. We don't have the year that she was in a coma accounted for in one of her lives. Mm-hmm. Um, but for the most part, that's all accounted for. And she died in her ninth life. Yeah. When? When, uh, um, if you remember, it was like Powers of Ten number four, I think. But they had broken into the facility that had the library of all mutant DNA cataloged. Right. And they got that and they delivered, someone delivered it to the sarcophagus that had her because she had teamed up with Apocalypse in that life right. to be immortal. And they had done that to have a living catalog of DNA for all of the mutants so that when she died and went to her 10th life, they could build the Cerebro map that has so, all mutants in it. So we're living her 10th life where she's become a hermit and kind of is avoiding everything Xavier and Magneto yeah. specifically and, and just kind of the the world that she knows is going to happen. She's got them on this plan. <clears throat> um the journal that Andrew was referencing. So I really like there was a several pages there where it's just journal entries of Moira and it is, you know, several years into her and Magneto and Charles trying to work out this House of X stuff. But as each entry goes along, there's a very heart of darkness, apocalypse now feeling of Charles and uh, and Magneto really taking the ball and running with what they're doing, mm-hmm. but kind of abandoning what Moira is talking about. And you kind of see them going rogue. And I really liked that. I really liked this impending doom of using text and not images to take time jumps and uh, and see that shit is going wrong. Uh, and and not what she wanted. And she she ultimately is like, I gotta dip out. Like I can't be a part of this anymore. I gotta hide. And I I really like that she kind of separates herself from it. She's not totally separating herself from it, but um, you know, her influence has been too strong. It, there's there's just like a I really like the journal stuff. Do you think that uh, if Hickman hadn't been constrained by a twelve issue format? Do you think that he would have done any of the this the journal stuff and some of the charts in a more comic book way? I don't. I don't think that he was constrained. I think that he, he wanted chose to do a 12-issue thing that cleared the board, mm-hmm. set up the pieces, and... Because I think the X-Men couldn't... I, th- I don't think that you could have done a reboot of the X-Men without doing this. Right. 
because there's too much did this happen or did this not happen with the last 50 years of X-Men continuity. So I think that this needed to happen. I think we needed to have 12 issues resetting the board. So this reset is basically the X-Men living on Krakoa mm -hmm. with all mutants, mm -hmm. right? Yeah. And somehow, well, so Krakoa seems like kind of a primitive place. And as we found out in the previous issue, they had to steal beer from humans in order to have a party. Did they say they stole beer from humans? No, but they definitely didn't spend the time to make like six pack holders. Right. On Krakoa when their entire existence is at risk. And right? my understanding seems like they have these medical drugs that people want. So yeah. like in my mind, it was that they <clears throat> were establishing uh, a need that would allow them to fit into the overall world economy. Like, hey, we've got these drugs. We need to be recognized as autonomous, but we also want to be able to trade. And but they did it in kind of a super villain way, it felt like. Yeah. You know, like, we listen to a podcast called iFanboy, and they're they're portraying it as a lot more of a villainous thing than I portray it, like, I view it as. Um, Nobody's the villain of their own story, right? So For sure. So Xavier is trying to do the best he can for his mutants, and if that comes across as uh, a bad guy thing to humans, bummer, dudes. There was just a weird, like, my reading of this was that they created these drugs and they want to share them with people. Right. That podcast we listened to actually said that like they seemed to come to the conclusion they weren't going to be trading it to people. I think that was erroneous. Yeah. Um, they, they, they make it clear that they want to trade. So I don't feel like there is a very super villainy thing beyond just the very firm, we're doing this. This is what we've decided. Leave us alone. Like we Leave us help alone you. and treat us well. Yeah, but we'll be treating you well as well. Like, right. But, but we're not going to pretend that you want us to be around anymore because you don't. Right. The really big thing that happened in this issue is that – the secrets from that year 1000 future and the sixth life of Moira is that in 1000 years in the future, we learn that humanity is bonded with robots and a thing that has never come up in X-Men comics before. And that I thought was a brilliant Hickman move was that they make the statement that in a thousand years in the future, it doesn't really matter how evolved you are from natural mutation, like the <clears throat> mutants, because in reality, once technology rose, humans are able to accomplish more with technology and and have larger benefit from that than anything that a mutant evolution allowed them to have right and except in, for these super fantastical powers yeah except or right? when you work together in a group but even mm -hmm. that technology man we're 25 years away from technology being able to do all of the stuff that these mutants can do are we do you think we can do what moira does or what uh like even what wolverine does we can't heal people that quickly yeah but I, but i or think like gene gray i think that we're within 100 years of doing it yeah i mean i really like the idea of technology making evolution a moot point because right. that's where humans are at this point Right. And until we've fucked up the world enough that our technology can't save us. Right. We're at a point where it doesn't really matter if we are better at running away from woolly mammoths than somebody else. Because right. we have a car. Yeah, we got a car. Yeah. Um, and that's kind of what WALL-E is about. Right. Like this kind of takes us right up to the point of WALL-E in Powers of Ten. And, you, and I would say actually, actually going back, like you are right. Like you, we can't run away from predators. But we have a car that can drive us away. But we're not as fast as the Flash. So a mutant power could maybe right. give you the speed of the Flash. 
but we can get we can mimic that. Like we have, yeah. you know, bullet trains in Japan can move half as fast Pretty as the flash. Fast. You know, like yeah. something like that. So I really liked that this idea of mutation being irrelevant, but I also kind of liked the meta commentary of mutants and the X-Men franchise kind of being irrelevant for the last 15 years. Yeah. And there's this interesting sort of parallel that's being played there with like that whole story is a little <laughs> bit less interesting when we live in a world where you know, technology does the things that it does. So I think that there was a, some really uh, sophisticated meta storytelling going on there. And I just, I loved it, Django. I loved what they did with that sixth life. I love all of the questions that it poses for the future series. I love that we repeated this scene of Moira and Charles meeting, and then there was a, an info dump, and then we get the several panels after that that we haven't seen yet and is like Charles's brain like overheating and being overwhelmed by talking to Moira and we start to see the negative aspects of this and then we see Moira's journal there's this really and and then after Moira's journal we see Moira in the no place and we see them talking about how they need to bring destiny into it she's like no no destiny no precogs and it right. shows the fallibility of her character. Like, she is evil as well. She doesn't want Destiny, who we saw in issue two, who, like, killed her in her second life um, or third life. We don't want – she doesn't want that person to be around. So she, like, even kind of very cowardously says that there's no precox and be allowed because she knows the threat that they pose. So we have all these chess players who are working with their own amount of damage and their own amount of uh, – bias and fallibility here magneto for the last two issues has been talking to charles about how like well once we do this we're inseparable and everything i've ever said to you you know isn't true like now i'm bonded to you for life i'll be your partner you know that shit's not happening well we also know because of her sixth life that they can't win right and that's the thing is they right yeah they know they're never gonna win sorry that's i didn't mention i mean these these three know that they're never gonna win right right i'm assuming magneto's been looped in on this but but moira and charles both know that no matter what happens the the what is it the phalanx is aware of all this stuff and they know how to beat the x-men in this so it it i think it I, i think it was a really smart move on hickman's part to sort of put a stop to this story because otherwise we would have another hundred years of stories of them yeah. trying to trying to stop these guys again and that's kind of boring so he's just like okay guys give up we're all doomed right so what do we do so what do we do in the meantime and it'll be interesting to see what they do because you know in my mind what you do is the best thing for the most people right and in Charles's mind, it's going to be the best thing for the most mutants. Right. And so we're going to end up with X-Men on Krakoa doing good thing, good things for people, but it's not necessarily going to be for the people. And Justin was a little bit bummed that that year 1000 stuff ended. Like Moira dying at the end of that, <clears throat> you know, meant that that timeline ended, and he really wanted follow up on that phalanx stuff, and and that was his his big sadness was the end of that timeline. We'll get it. Well, and and we're gonna get something there. We're gonna get like something referencing it. Like she might be able to live an eleventh life. Yeah, which or, means that she will definitely be able to live an eleventh yeah. life when it's time to reboot the Marvel universe. Things that surprised me. I'm surprised that in this entire series we never saw the sinister betrayal. Right. 
But I'm so excited for that story to be lived out in one of these six series. Mm-hmm. So Nathan, in referencing, you know, your quote, what are we most excited about these series? I'm excited for all of these seeds to be followed up. Um, in the main X-Men series, I think that that's just going to be a, a creative powerhouse for Jonathan Hickman to do all of the things he wants to do. But but Marauders, we know, is the series that is about Emma Frost and Kitty Pride acting as pirates to secretly shuttle mutant drugs into countries and then act as the Underground Railroad to funnel mutants out of those countries onto Krakoa. I love that idea. Um, Excalibur, we know, has a lot to do with uh, Psylocke and Apocalypse. Like at New York Comic Con last weekend, that was sort of talked about. Teeny Howard is doing some pretty awesome stuff with Apocalypse, and uh, I really want to be a part of that. X-Force is the least interesting one to me because it has... um, a lot of sort of action and testosterone built into it. And I've never loved X-Force comics except for Rick Remender's X-Force run, which is maybe my favorite X-Men comic besides this one. Uh, New Mutants I'm incredibly excited for because Hickman and Ed Brisson are alternating issues for the first chunk of it. So I think that we're going to be getting two storylines. The X-Men main title by Hickman is all one and done issues but the New Mutants is alternating between two writers. So I think that we're going to be getting a Hickman side of it that's telling a narrative. And then the Brisson side, which I don't have a lot of hope for because I don't love him, but he he could do some good stuff. So I'm very excited for just anything that Hickman's touching. So New Mutants and the X-Men series. Um, what else we got? We got uh, uh, New Mutants, Excalibur, X-Men, Marauders, X-Force, and one more, Fallen Angels. And that's the Brian Hill one. The thing that most excites me about that is that it's Brian Hill. Brian Hill's great. Yeah. And and, and this is a different kind of thing than we've seen him really write. Right. Isn't it? Like he's he's mostly stuck to um, crime stuff. And then when he's done superhero stuff, it hasn't been this kind of superhero, right. if that makes sense. And this, yeah, could a lot almost. Of alleyways. Yeah. You know, could almost be kind mm-hmm. of Michael Cray, but not. You yeah. know, like it's, it's probably going to be in, the, in line with that. Is Sunspot in it? I don't know. Sunspot is in New Mutants, I believe. Okay. I like his character design a lot. Yeah. I just like anybody who's just all black ink. Yeah. No, I love it. The love K. It. C-M-Y-K. K. K. I don't know that in a vacuum I would have made it all the way through this X, X House and Powers series. Like, I'm, I'm glad that I read it and I thought it was gratifying at the end. But um, if I ran out of time and forgot to read an issue one week, I would have had a hard yeah. time catching up. If you didn't have Jeff and Justin yelling about how much they loved it. Yeah, and I, I think it's a well-crafted comic. I'm, I'm really glad that it wrapped up like it did, uh, although the final issue here felt a little bit like an Agatha Christie, like, last 15 pages where they're like, oh, uh, I knew that this was happening because I saw the knife in your drawer and it had a fingerprint on it that was obviously you not from You felt like the- there was, like, a... Um- a mystery that was not a mystery wrapped up there or something. It, this this just felt like the detectives finally spelling out the mystery. And yeah. in this case, Jonathan Hickman is the detective and he has withheld all of this information from us until this issue. So, so the big thing, and that's not a bad thing though. I think that's that just it, the structure that I identified. The thing that there. helped me get through it was a lot of the fun and mystery. Yeah. I don't think that it was necessary to the structure of the story to have that year 1000 sixth life of Moira been exposed to us as her sixth life in the final issue. Right. That didn't have to happen. I really liked that because it kept the question of what is this? Why does this happen? It kept the question of can they win? The answer is no. Right. 
right? So like, however he decided to reveal that, I think it had to be a final issue reveal. Yeah, that makes sense. Um, but I, that that was the most impactful information that I think we got from this issue was that they don't win. Right. They they can't. They can't win. Mutation so, will never. Mutants are never going to win because people plus technology is greater than mutants. Yeah, and this like I think that our different experiences with this series kind of boiled down to like the difference between um, plot and script. And I think that we, we look at those, we prioritize those things differently. Yeah, for sure. I, I really like fantasy football. I love Mm -hmm. the difficulty of our ordering comics where I think oftentimes you're like, we should solve the problem of ordering the comics. And I'm like, no, the fun is solving the puzzle of ordering comics. Right. You're insane. Yeah. But I, I love that. You know, I really love solving a thing. Like, I need to read it again because I don't get it yet. Yeah. I need to read it again. You know, I love that. And and it that isn't super beneficial in terms of a, of a story that's laid out in a way that you can easily understand it. Yeah. And I don't even mean that like an insultingly like easy to understand. But just like if you like having to untie a knot, then a thing that's easy to untie isn't satisfying to you. But also yeah. untying a knot is a problem. So you're so let's cut the string or buy exactly. a new rope. Exactly, exactly. Yeah. So I, I I totally understand. I've really enjoyed um, trying to convince people that Django hates this series. It's been great because I know that it actually bothers Django. It's been very satisfying because I'm he's like, no, I do like it more than he's saying. I just don't like it as much as him. And now fuck all of you. Because... It's uh, it's the difference between like, I like what happened. You like why what happened. In yeah, this and, series, and, I think. And how <clears throat> Yeah. Yeah, I, I really like you know, like I like uh, I do like unnecessary turns made to get to a spot. I like an yeah. interesting pattern. And I think a lot of times you like a neat we got like A to B and I'm like, Yeah, but what if you could tie some interesting patterns into the line before we got there? Yeah. And one I can't wait to talk about Watchmen with you. Yeah. Yeah, I'm reading Watchmen right now, everybody, so that I can talk to Django about Watchmen. Watchmen is like um, the DC's time-traveled backwards answer to House and Powers. So what I would actually really like to do is I read the first, and I'm, I'm going incredibly slow with it. I, I read the first issue of Watchmen the other day um, at a diner, and it took me about an hour to get through. Mm-hmm. Um, Did you read the back matter? Uh, I did that, you know, two months ago, which is, okay. yeah. Uh, but, oh, no, sorry, The Back Matter. I didn't read The Back Matter. Okay. I'm going to read The Back Matter because I don't know that I've ever read The Back Matter. It's... I've read the the pirate stuff, but I haven't read the, like, here's seven block text pages from Hollis's, you know, book. And you like Moira's journal. Right. You're going to love that back matter. Treat it. Pretend that Hickman wrote okay, it. Okay, I will. Uh, I will. But what, actually what I was just going to say is I would really like to do is I would I want to do a podcast with you about Watchmen. We've been talking about that for a year and a half. Okay. I'm, I'm making it happen now. What I would really want to do is record a 30-minute conversation with the two of us before I read it with you talking about a lot of the stuff that you love about it because mm-hmm. I would like to bear that in mind. As I read it. Okay. I am one sandwich away from being able to do that after we're done with this. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, I can't do it today. Um, but um, I don't know. That's like, I can't ever talk enough about this. And I'm going to walk away and be like, I want to talk about that. And I want to talk about that. And I want to talk about that. But that, that's enough of an ending point. I loved Powers of X, Powers of 10. 
<laughs> so what do you give this issue? What do you give House of X? Yeah. And what do you give Powers of 10? And what do you give both together? Um, 10, 10, 10, 10, 10. Uh, that's four X's. Yeah. That's oh. Girls Without Skin. Four X's is... Fody. A little bit grumpy, so I don't want to really give things uh, an actual score. He doesn't. He d- did not like this run. Everybody, are you a little bit grumpy? We've had fun here. I've been grumpy. I know. I saw you come in the today store today. All day yesterday. <laughs> uh, That's because we didn't see each other at all yesterday. It, it, it was. It was definitely partly that. Yeah, I don't want to give it. I don't want to give it an actual score because I don't feel qualified for that right now. But I will say that I liked it, and I think that anybody who's ever been interested in the X Men at all, or anybody who's fallen off of the X Men, should probably just read this series start to finish because I think it's the best X Men thing that's come out since since like the Chris Claremont Jim Lee era, which when we look back on it now is kind of laughable in a lot of ways, but it was. Super important and a uh, kind of a zeitgeist for pop culture, comic books specifically. Like if you weren't reading that shit, you were right. You were messing up pretty big time. Thanks to it's so third Reiki. It's not third Reiki. It's super third. It's old dirty. Oh, you would know if dirty. you listen to old dirty. I'm your old, <laughs> I'm your old dirty buddy. I don't listen to him, but I do know a lot about him. Raekwon the Jeff, man. So who's your favorite Wu Tang member? Old dirty bastard. Right, we know that. Yeah, yeah, never mind. Yeah, who's my favorite? Raekwon the Jeff. No. Uh, Rizza. Yeah. The Jizza. No. Old dirty bastard. The Jizza's his cousin. Brooklyn Zoo. Um, that was episode 151. We appreciate everybody who listens to this podcast, everyone who came out to the live show. Um, you guys will never know how much that meant to us. So I appreciate you guys letting us trying to tell you over and over again that that was a really cool thing that you guys did showing up. We'll do another live one eventually. Um, maybe once a year, maybe twice a year. Who knows? But it was a lot of fun. We'll do it in a different spot or something. Django. You want me to play us out? You working tomorrow? Fuck. You working the next day? No. no. I'm not even answering my goddamn phone on Monday. I know. You motherfuckers try to call me. Yeah. It's just pretend I'm dead. All right. I'm Jeff, and I'm Raekwon the Jeff, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> and Django's my old, dirty buddy. Old, dirty Jezza. My old, dusty buddy. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, everybody. We'll see you next time for 152. One, five, two, 